be in the book of Ephesians here, um, Ephesians chapter number three. And if you're just joining with us, uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians here. We started in January, and we just now turned the chapter over into uh, Ephesians chapter number three. And it uh, is truly amazing um, what the Lord has done through the Apostle Paul and just how he has um, basically shown the power of God through uh, everything and, and what, what God has been doing in the church and just showing us really who we are in Christ and how knowing who we are in Christ really changes um, our perspective in how we live. And that's kind of the, the theme that, that Paul's been trying to show these Ephesian elders is if they would just basically understand who they are in Christ, it would radically change how they live in the world, uh, which uh, the Lord has uh, basically uh, done through all of that. And so um, God here is basically trying to show us here in Ephesians chapter number three. Last week we looked at uh, Paul and his, his suffering that he was there in prison. And now we're going to begin here in Ephesians eight, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter three, verse number eight. And we're going to go down through verse number 13. And where I want to end up is going to be in uh, verse number 12 and 13. But in order to get there, we're going to have to understand the, the process of what Paul is talking about the church and talking about this mystery that's been revealed and how the, how the church is going to show how we can have confidence in our faith. And there's some, there's some weighty subjects that Paul is going to, going to talk about in this. And so I want you to, to hang with me here, but I think you'll see how all of this comes together uh, with all of this about... Um, Paul and, and what he's, uh, basically what he's doing and, and how he's uh, working in the church and so forth and so on. And so we're going to begin reading here in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 12 uh, through 13. But look what he says. He says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, uh, which is your glory. And so we find here, he's, Paul, he's, he's talking about this. And what is it that makes us confident in our faith? Well, obviously, it's Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ is the, is the anchor. He is the one that makes us confident in our faith. And look at these words as, as how he's describing this. Boldness, access. Um, he talks about this confidence. So boldness, access, confidence. I mean, how, how is it that we get there? What is the, what is the means of which God is, is doing this? How is it that we become so bold as to speak before God? How is it that we become uh, to the place where we know that we have direct access to the Father? And how is it that we have this confidence in Jesus and in God as what he says is true? And Paul talks about that here in the preceding verses. So this is really where I want to wind up here 
in, in what the Lord is speaking to us. And I think the Lord is, is trying to help us understand something here about our boldness, about our access, about how we come to find our faith in Christ and find our, our confidence in him. And there's two things that I really want you to see in this. Our life and God's purpose. The purpose of the church. Our life and our purpose. So as Paul was writing here to the believers here at Ephesus, he's writing to people who much like today were struggling. I mean, when we read these verses, it's kind of like, we read them and we may want to just like kind of like skip over them. And then we get to verses 12 and 13. We're like, yeah, access and faith and confidence. Yeah, that's really what I want. But when we come here through the other verses, we may just kind of really gloss over them because we're like, well, you know, okay, those, okay, those are nice words and everything. But Paul was writing to believers that were just like you today. These were believers that maybe were uh, struggling with troubled marriages. They were trying to rear their children. They were worried about paying bills. They, were, they had busy schedules. And they were also people that were grappling with temptations in their life as well. And so these Christians here at Ephesus had everyday problems of life. And so these people were grappling, were grappling with this and trying to, to figure out what was going on in life. And Paul writes to them about the purpose of the church and to get them to understand how do we have confidence in faith? How do we have this access to God? It's all through God's purpose of the church. So that's really what I want you to see. I want you to see your life and God's purpose of the church and how the two interact together. Remember where we were just over this understanding here about this awesome description of the church in Ephesians chapter number two. Um, Paul talks to us about how we are the household of God, that we are built on the foundation of the word of God, that we, the church, align ourselves to the teachings of Jesus Christ and of the prophets and the word. And we are growing together, building together as a dwelling place for the Lord. That's the church. That's you. That's who we are, is we are the church. And Paul's trying to help us understand that our life needs to align with God's purpose of the church. And so Paul continues his teaching here in Ephesians chapter number 3 and how our life and the purpose of the church come together to give us the boldness, to give us access, and to give us confidence in him. So let's look here at uh, these verses here, beginning in verse number 8. Look what he says here. He says, to me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 8, to me, Paul says, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, in the world in which we live today, the church is viewed as nice, but not necessarily 
as necessary. I remember watching a documentary a long time ago. It was called Expelled, and it was basically talking about how God has been expelled from the classroom, has been expelled from academia. And there was one man that said this about the church and about Christianity. He said, I would love to see the day when the church and Christianity would take more of a position of like a side dish than rather the main course. He also said it would be nice to see that the church would become a, a thing where it's treated more of like a hobby, like knitting, other than kind of like the main thing that people were involved in. Many who claim to be born again view the church as optional. If it meets your needs, that's fine, but if it doesn't, then don't even bother with it. Sometimes people may be looking for a church of what that church may have to offer them. But in reality, that's not the way that God designed the church. God designed the church for a community to be together where we exalt and lift up Jesus Christ and we in turn then affect the world and the community in which we live. So this is why we must understand what is the church? Is it brick? Is it mortar? Is it programs and chairs, a gathering place? Or is it those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ? You see, what matters to God is the church. Christ said, I will build my church. He didn't say he will build your church. He didn't say, I will build a church that what you think it should look like. He said, I will build my church. That's where his focus lies We find in Ephesians 5.25 that the Bible tells us that Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so God's eternal purpose centers on Christ and his church. And if we want our lives to count for eternity, we've got to get God's vision and his understanding of what the church is, what it looks like, and what the purpose of that church is supposed to be. And we find that as it is revealed to us in Scripture. So here we are. Here's our life. Here's God's purpose, the church. And he wants them to come together. He wants them to be affected. So what is God's purpose of the church? Look at verse number 9. Notice what Paul says about the purpose of the church in this text. He uses these words. Look at verse number 9. He uses the word plan. He says, What is the plan of the mystery? Look at verse number 11. He uses this word. He says, uh, this was according to the eternal purpose. So we could say that God had an eternal plan, an eternal purpose for what the church was. You know, it's interesting that if God makes plans, nobody can change those plans. Nobody. If God wills it, Not you or anybody else will ever put a stop to it. That's why Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church has not been lost. The church has not uh, fallen apart. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So God had this eternal plan of the church. God in his wisdom formed a plan even before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would be slain before the foundation of the world. 
And so God has a purpose to make the manifold wisdom of who he is to be known. And how does he do that? He does it through the church. This is his purpose and his plan. But what does all that mean? Let's refresh our memory here. Let's turn back over to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at this. Remember how we looked at this a while back? Ephesians 1 verses 9 through 12 talking about this mystery of what God was doing in the world. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan, there it is, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so God had a plan, God had a purpose, an eternal plan for the church. So God's eternal purpose is basically summed up in all of it is in Christ. Because look what he says in verse 10, Ephesians 1, verse 10, as a plan... For the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so the fullness of God's plan was in Christ. And everything is about Christ. All of history is about him. It is his story. Everything in the Old Testament that we read about points to, points forward to who Christ was. We read in the book of Hebrews that it says that the law was a shadow of the things that were to come. And so everything is about Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 uh, through 23. This is all part of his plan. And what would he do? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the what? To the church. And it says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So God makes it very abundantly clear that the church, God's purpose in all of it is about Jesus. When we come together as believers, what do we come together for? To say hi? To catch up? If we are not coming together for Jesus, then we are wasting our time. It's about Jesus. Everything that we do as a church is about Jesus. And so God makes this very abundantly clear. Remember what Paul says in, uh, look at uh, chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Look what he says his ministry was. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to do what, Paul? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. 
And so all of this was accomplished through God's purpose of the church. This was something that was hidden, that was a mystery, and and God has revealed it through his son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 9 again. Look what he says here. And to bring to light, in Ephesians 3, verse number 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? See, I think sometimes when we're reading God's word and we come across a phrase like that, we just kind of grease right over it. We don't stop and think, what is this plan? What is this mystery? What is this mystery that was hidden for ages in God? You see, this mystery was something that was not previously known, but now it has been revealed in Christ. Look at Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, Paul says, as I have written briefly, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here it is. What's the mystery, Paul? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Remember how we were covering about the church there in Ephesians 2? About how Jew and Gentile, God would reconcile both of them together in one body, bringing them together. And through that, we now have the same promises. We have the eternal promises. We're part of the body of Christ. That is a blessing if you are a Gentile. You say, what's a Gentile? Anybody that's not a Jew. That is a blessing to be brought into the very presence of God. And so Paul says, this is the mystery that I've been talking about You see, the Old Testament predicted the salvation of many Gentiles, but it did not reveal that God would unite them as one body with the Jews and that he would seat them with Christ in the heavenly places and display his manifold wisdom through them throughout the ages to come. Why did God hide all of this? Why did God keep this a mystery? Why did he shroud all of this? Because he's God. And his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. For as high as the heavens is from the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts from ours. That's what he chose to do. But this is what's so amazing about all of this. Because in the right time, in the right place, at the right moment, we read in Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Aren't you thankful for that? At the very right time, Jesus was sent into the world to become a sacrifice for sins for us. 
Because of God's purpose of the church, we as Gentile believers, we have some great and awesome privileges that are in Christ as the church, as the body of Christ. Listen to some of these things that we are, that we've already covered. We are saved by grace. We are no longer separated from Christ. We have been brought near. Jesus is our peace. We are reconciled to God. We have access to God. We are now fellow citizens. We are saints. We are members of the household of faith. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus being our cornerstone. And we are growing into that holy temple, a dwelling place for God. When I think about that word growing and that the church is growing, Jesus is building the church. He's building this dwelling place. I think about those people that we may not know, people that we may have never met, people that have turned from idols, they've turned from darkness, and they've turned to Christ to serve the true and living God. God is almost like taking, well, here's another brick. Here's another one. Here's another one. Jesus is building his church. And so that's the church. That's you. That's God's mysterious purpose of the church. I want to show you another thing. Look here at verse number 10. This is amazing. This is, this is completely mind-boggling when we think about the church and the purpose of the church. Look what he says. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. It says that God's purpose of the church was that through the church would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Say, what? What does that mean? There's two questions that I want to really put forward with this. What are these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? And secondly, what is the manifold wisdom of God? These rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are angels. Throughout all of scripture, we find about the, the, uh, the spiritual realm as referenced as being the heavenly places. We read about in Ephesians 6, it tells us that uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual darkness in the heavenly realms and the heavenly places. So it's not necessarily talking about heaven. It's talking about a spiritual realm that is around us. And so these rulers and authorities that are present in the realm around us, they are watching now, are these heavenly angels or are they fallen angels? I believe it's both. To the heavenly angels, we stand as a, as a basically a, a trophy, as almost a, 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 a thing that God has done. And they, the angels stand in awe that, that God would step down into his creation and he would be born as a human and he would take on flesh and he would live among us and that he would redeem fallen mankind. That us, that we would be rescued from a pit of corruption and God would redeem us. The angels stand in awe of what God has done through us. 
But to the fallen angels, we stand as a living testimony of their impending doom. You think about that. The day that Jesus was on the cross, the day that uh, he was there, Satan thought, I got him now. It's going to be over. Jesus died. It is finished. Ha, 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 ha. But then three days later, God himself resurrected from the grave. And it stands as a witness of their impending doom. But what is this manifold wisdom of God? That's answered for us in verse number 11. What does he say? This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose. That's God's manifold wisdom. The church. You see, God's purpose was that the manifold wisdom of God was realized in Christ or carried out. It was, a, it was accomplished through Christ. God's purpose for you and for me, for the whole world, was that he wanted to redeem the whole world through Christ. And we find in John chapter number one, it says that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. And when they took Christ and they put him on the cross and they crucified him, that was all of God's eternal plan, his manifold wisdom that he was revealing in Christ, that he would redeem the world through Christ. And it was at the cross, especially, that God demonstrated his manifold wisdom. You think about that. Here's fallen mankind in their, in their depraved state. As we read in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter number 2, that we were, uh, we were corrupt, we were dead, we were following the course of this world. But God, in verse number 4, who is rich in mercy... And so here's fallen mankind, and we think, boy, couldn't God have used something else in order to save us? I mean, what about good works? Couldn't we just have done enough good things? It's not going to happen. What about, God, how about sending someone else or doing something else? It's not going to happen. God had wisdom in all of this to send forth Christ. And so Christ was sent into the world. And he, before the very foundation of the world, we read, in his wisdom, he knew the fall of mankind. Even before Adam and Eve were created, God in his wisdom knew what to do. That's amazing. And so God showed his wisdom through this. He showed his eternal purpose. No other sacrifice would have done and still no other sacrifice will do or can do in what God has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. None. And if you don't know Christ, I would encourage you to turn to Jesus because that's the only hope that you have of of. Of salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. That's it. God has revealed salvation through his son, Jesus. 
and it was displayed through Jesus as the only way of salvation. So now this brings us here to these verses in 12 and 13. Confidence, boldness, access. You see, there are two things about understanding our life in Christ. Who we are in Christ, what the purpose of the church is, how those two things connect. Look what he says here in verses 12 and 13 again. In whom we have boldness. In Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What makes us confident in our faith? Because we understand what God did before the foundation of the world. You see, it wasn't just the fact that Adam and Eve were created and God says, boy, this is good. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, I'm going to have to think of something. What, 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 what can I do? That is not God's wisdom. Before the foundation of the world, Christ was slain. Got an interesting illustration here. Does everybody know what this is? Does, don't ever wear one like this, okay? <laughs> Hospital gown, okay, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, I was uh, back in uh, Pennsylvania visiting uh, with uh, my wife and her family. And I had to go to the emergency room. And I was passing out. It was really, really horrible. Um, and I would, like, come to. I didn't know what was going on and stuff. So I was in the emergency room, and I told them what was happening. They were kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever, sure. And then it happened again. They're like, oh, man, this guy's telling the truth. So they put me in a, an observation room, and they're like, take off your shirt. And I'm like, what? You know, and they give me one of these. Now, I tell you what. When you're wearing one of these, you are not confident. <laughs> There's a reason why they call it ICU. <laughs> you know how a, you know the reason why a hospital gown is like life insurance? Because it doesn't cover everything. <laughs> so here I am. I'm in the ho- I'm in the emergency room, and I have one of these things on. And I'm feeling miserable. But after a while, I didn't. I didn't really care anymore because I just wanted to get better. And you know, I believe that as believers in Christ, we do not understand our access before God. We do not understand our boldness that we can speak before him in boldness. And we do not understand our confidence in our faith Because we do not understand the purpose that God sent his son Jesus into the world. We just kind of, we have our faith, we have our church, we have our our friends and our community of, of 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 our church. But yet we still live lives as if we are not confident in our faith. We live lives as if we do not have access to God. 
And we live lives as if we do not have boldness to enter into the very presence of God and speak to him. Why? Because we do not understand what God did through Jesus. Sending him to this earth to become sin for us. When we get a revelation of who we are in Christ, it will dramatically change our relationship with God. That's why all those verses preceding are so important to understanding our access, our faith, and our confidence. But there's another thing that Paul talks about in this, in this passage, because he doesn't talk about this access, this faith, and this confidence, but he also talks about this. Look at verse number 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. You see, when we understand that the church, that Christ is the manifold wisdom of God that is on display through the church, it makes sense then of the sufferings that we are going through. Listen to what Romans 8.18 says. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, God even sometimes uses our trials to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ so that even if persecution comes against us, church, if persecution isn't already here, it's coming. And what are you going to do when it comes? When persecution comes to the church in America, what are you going to do? One of the fastest growing churches in all the world is in China. Why? Because of persecution. And so when those sufferings, that persecution comes, we should not become discouraged. That's why Paul says we do not lose heart. Because we understand what God was doing in the world through his son, Jesus. You see, our good and ultimate glory are included in his purpose. And the greatness of the cause is worth the hardship of our suffering. So this is where I come back to this, that many people do not commit themselves to the church. They treat it just almost as if it's like a hobby or if it's just some type of thing we do on weekends. But we are not fully committed to the church. Many people are too focused on themselves and they don't have the big picture of what God was doing in the manifold wisdom of God by sending his son Jesus. You see, the church is at the center of how God wants to change the world. He's not going to use anything else. He's going to use the church. So we should respond to this by committing ourselves to it and praying for God to use it mightily in our community. We should be willing to endure hardship to see it become all of it that God wants it to become. That is the purpose of of the church. That's the purpose of us uniting together as members in the household of faith, family members, that we would carry out God's eternal purpose through the church.
Let's pray together. 